Hello to all the Hairs to You listeners. I am Tara, your forever host, here to talk about all things hair. So grab your favorite drink of choice, get comfy, and let's get started. So today's topic is all about the hair loss industry, and I'm being joined by Chris Webb, the CEO and publisher of International Hair Authority. Hi, Chris. Nice to have you here. It's a pleasure to join you. So um, introduce yourself to all our listeners. Let them know who you are and uh, what you're all about. My name is Chris Webb. I've been publishing the International Hair Authority for about 25 years now. We created it many years ago uh, because the industry needed to communicate with information that the public could use to make better decisions and the professionals themselves needed to know about new technologies that would help them better serve their clients. And since then, we've helped a number of other companies develop and expand, and we hope prosper. Very nice. Why a magazine? What really kind of got you into, I guess, your earlier years before the magazine? What were you doing and what kind of pushed you into, I guess, that niche there? It was like so many other things. It was a, a good accident. Uh, okay. All my background is in classic marketing. So I had a marketing training. I have a business degree. I worked on Madison Avenue for many years. I did international consulting work in Europe. And uh, then, as I say, on Madison Avenue. And it was while I was in New York that I met Cy Sperling. And he, in those days, was working with his wife and I think just one chair uh, with a new hair loss solution. And I met him and listened to him and out of a whole series of conversations, learned that he really needed a marketing support plan. And the more I learned about this new hair business, the more I realized that there was a need for serious information. At that time, the marketplace was really a world of wigs and toupees and a lot of people didn't view it with the respect that I thought the industry deserved. In fact, I'd say almost it was the opposite with late night shows like Letterman laughing at wigs and people with thinning hair. So I figured the time had come to create some serious information and talk about hair loss for the serious problem it really is for a lot of people. There's certainly cosmetic needs. A lot of people want to bulk up their hair, whether it's for entertainment or uh, to create a special look for a special occasion. But I would say 90% of the people looking for hair loss solutions are suffering from some form of alopecia, whether it's hereditary hair loss, traction alopecia, particularly among our African-American friends who tightly braid their hair, or even people who style their hair when it's wet, and then as that hair dries, the hair contracts and creates tension, which can result in traction alopecia. So for all of those reasons, I wanted to join the information dots and provide serious information and move the industry forward. Well, we're glad you did. <laughs> Definitely. What I guess kind of intrigued you the most about the hair loss industry itself and that making that your focus. 
I mean, there's, I mean, obviously with your background, you, you could have really done anything. Is there uh, like a, an emotional tie to hair loss? Was there somebody in the family who had hair loss? Um, I know my father, I mean, one of the things I, my father's been bald since I can remember. And, um, you know, when I got into the industry, you know, I, I really felt that it was rather than just being a hairdresser, um, jumping into the industry and making people beautiful, I felt, you know, why not help people um, with an issue, right? And, and really feel like I'm actually contributing. Um, was that kind of where you were going when you were looking at the hair loss industry? Not really. Most people started the industry because of hair loss in the family. In my case, it was really an intellectual challenge at first. And the more I got into the industry and the more I understood it, the more I realized what a life changer this could be. So I became viscerally involved, emotionally involved, but it all started from just kind of the intellectual basis. I looked at the numbers and things uh, that struck me were, it only takes four seconds to create a first impression. And that first impression is with you forever. So if you're not looking good or looking the way you want in that first impression, you're handicapped. Then I looked at more statistics and I saw that people who looked good earned more money in their careers than people who didn't. Then I looked at some of the devastating statistics like people committing suicide when their hair began to thin or a study that was done by one of the major cosmetic companies that showed that thinning hair was rated uh, as serious as a death in the family or the loss of a job. So to repeat myself, what started off as just an intellectual gathering of facts quickly became emotional. And once that happened, of course, there was no looking back. And I've been gathering information, sharing information, and trying to introduce professionals to each other, again, just to move the industry forward and deal with what, say, very emotional problem. Oh, very good. That's some good, interesting facts. I didn't know some of that stuff. Where do you feel the hair replacement industry has evolved the most in your experience? I think it's gone from a this or that, surgery or a hair addition. It's gone from those kinds of choices to increasingly a combined therapeutic approach. So people who uh, wear a hairpiece, for example, might at the same time be using lasers or they might be taking a medication in parallel. And those uh, temporary solutions could be leading up to surgery or alternatively, people who are simply not candidates for surgery would be looking for a non-surgical solution like some kind of hair addition or extension. So I think that bridge has now opened up and people are recognizing that therapies can work together. Yes, yes, exactly. Where do you feel the industry lacks? Do you feel there's anywhere in the industry that, that there's a lacking at this moment? I think the challenge at the moment is on the one hand to continue what I call that cross-pollination, those combination therapies. So I want to see that continue to advance. The other big challenge that we confront is consumers now, particularly after the COVID pandemic, they are looking for personal solutions. And that means that we have to learn to get closer to the consumer, to talk to patients in their own language. 
So the old days of advertising at a consumer or at what they would have called a target audience, those days are over. Now we are alongside the consumer, having to make friends, having to talk their language, having to hold their hands. That makes sense, yes. Um, do you feel there's anything in the hair loss industry uh, that has become completely obsolete in the last 25 years? Yes. I think the idea that uh, hair solutions are private and secret and furtive, I think that's in the past. Right now, having hair is it's a fashion statement. It's, uh, it, it's part of your wardrobe. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. I would even go further and say you could have different hairstyles for different occasions. I don't know why you couldn't have, I don't know, long hair for holidays or riding your Harley Davidson or whatever, and shorter hair when you go for the job interview. Yep, that makes sense. We actually have um, an influencer right now that's working with us, um, and he uh, purchased a hair system so he could do something like completely white hair. Uh, just to have like kind of like a really fashion kind of sense style going forward. He's a younger guy, so to have completely white hair with the rest of his hair being dark was obviously very uh, avant-garde of a look for him. But it was really nice to see something a little bit um, different in the industry rather than, you know, the norm always, right? It's okay for young guys to have, have to wear a hair system or to wear a hair system, even if it is for the, the fun aspect of things, you know, being able to do different styles. Uh, almost like you said, like a, an extension of your wardrobe, you know, being able to really express yourself as an individual. I think the time when people tried shaving their heads, call it the bald era, if you like, that actually was not a handicap for the hair addition industry. I think it was a, a very good thing because all of a sudden it said, this extreme is okay. That can be my fashion statement for now. So it actually opened the doors to the fact that you've got choices. You can have no hair if you want to. Most people want to have hair. It makes them look more vibrant and young and it's a fashion statement. But I think going bald, just open the door saying, whether you want that extreme or the other extreme, it's your choice. Yep, exactly. You have to feel good in your own skin, right? In the end, that's really what it's about. Do you believe the stigma towards balding and thinning men and women has gotten worse or better in the last 25 years? Very much better. Uh, <laughs> the only vulnerable uh, target group that I can think of would be people undergoing chemotherapy, where it's, it's not a choice. It's where you lose your identity and it's one more frightening thing. So that would be the only group where I feel uh, hair loss still is something that you wish to cover just to maintain your self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah, we, we just did um, actually um, uh, a show for CANAF, which is an alopecia convention. And um, it was actually quite interesting. There was a lot of younger, like I mean younger, younger children there, uh, completely bald, no hair at all. Um, and, and it was just a big eye-opener, you know, I guess being in the industry, you know, majority of the time I see men, you see the women coming in also, um, but we really don't have uh, children who have lost their hair kind of thrown in our faces much. So to really kind of see that uh, really kind of almost, you know, you, you feel bad because, I mean, I know as a child, you know, kids can be quite mean. 
sometimes. And, uh, you know, these kids, but, you know, they were embracing, they had, they had their wigs and then they were embracing, you know, their beautiful bald heads at the same time. Um, but it was really definitely an eye opener. Um, I think in the industry, especially for me, cause I had really never seen that, that side of it before. Um, but you know, we, we really do, you know, it's good that there are options for everyone, whether it's, you know, it's, it's a hair system, a wig, you know, whether it's a medical wig, something for someone who's, you know, losing their hair, uh, temporarily to losing their hair in a permanent ma manner. I think, you know, that we have options for everybody is usually, you know, is a, is a good thing. You're, you're right. For children, it's uh, devastating. There are a number of charities that help children and I support those and admire the work they do. Um, but with kids, it's totally transformational. When you look at the photographs of these youngsters without hair and then when they have it, I mean, it just warms your heart. You can see the glow almost, you know, the, 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 oh, yes. the changes completely. So having been, having been in the hair industry for about 22 years now myself, and just even in the hair loss industry for the last decade, I really noticed that there is, you know, the ebbs and flows within the industry. Uh, do you feel there's a driving force in individuals that push them uh, to look at hair replacement as an option? at certain times versus others. Like, have you noticed that in your experience that it seems to be, you know, certain times of the year, people are more, more apt to want to look at themselves versus other times. Have you noticed that at all? Uh, yes. I, I notice it from two points of view, both geographically and seasonality. Geographically, the more formal cities, and historically that would have been a Boston, a New York, a Toronto, uh, cities where people were restricted in the uniforms they could wear to work, they needed hair. Hair became part of the uniform. So uh, if you were going to work in a suit, for example, you didn't have any many ways of expressing your personality. Maybe the color of your tie if you were a man. But other than that, it was a dark suit and a shirt. But you had your hair. Or maybe you didn't have your hair. But the hair was something that you could express your personality with. So geography played a large part in the development of the industry. And now of course it's moved to the Sun Belt as well, where people are looking to be more flamboyant and enjoy themselves in the sun. But what's the point of looking athletic on the deck of your yacht if you have no hair? So all of that goes together. In terms of times of year, for some reason, but I don't truly understand it, there seems to be a hiatus in people seeking solutions from, let's say, mid-July through to the end of September. And I think that's just because it's the holiday season and everybody's going away. The beginning of a new year, people are making resolutions. They promise they will work out. They will drink their eight ounces of fluid every hour. And yeah, hair's part of that. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, I know. Every time January hits, I'm always uh, hitting my goals for the gym anyway, <laughs> trying to regardless. Do you feel there is um, a, a particular area in the hair replacement industry that's booming now more than anything else? Like, do you see anything that's kind of at its peak? I, I think I see two things. The first one is everybody is now open to adding hair. If you go to a beauty show, for example, and you look at the booths there, 
People are crowded around the hair extension booth. They cannot try on enough different uh, hair extensions uh, because it's fun and it, it transforms you. So I think hair extensions have been a huge area of growth. Women's hair additions in general are becoming very successful. I think the very informal cuts for men are finding their way now, finally into the marketplace. So additional hair has gone from being an old man's solution to being a young guy's uh, fashion statement. So I, I think that's good as well. But the limit there is you have to find a stylist who's trained to work with that hair. And for that matter, a supplier who can provide hair in that invisible configuration that is ne that's necessary. Have you seen any changes within the industry during, like, during the pandemic? Do you, have you seen the way it, it has affected the industry at all? I think it sorted out the professionals from the wannabes. The professionals saw the challenge coming and prepared, and they adjusted the way they worked in order to help customers through the crisis. So whether it was having an inventory of hair that was available, because if you're a client and your hair now needs care or your hair system needs replacement, this isn't something that you can uh, skirt around. You cannot continue to wear bad hair. So you have to find someone who's got the hair and who will work with you. So as I say, the prudent manufacturers planned for this and took good care of their clients. And some of the other men and women were left dangling. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a hard time to kind of uh, configure, you know, what to do. Um, and again, I think everybody, I think I think there was some businesses that really fell short, knowing the industry myself and and kind of who's in this area. Um, and then there was the industries that really kind of thrived, um, you know, which was you know also nice to see because I think you do we all needed to step up to the plate and figure out, you know, I know the government was kind of. I know here in Canada, we were very, very strict in Ontario, like the, the rules were very dead set of, you know, you can't see people, you can't be in contact with people, you can't do this. And, you know, we had a lot of clients that were kind of like, oh, what am I going to do now? You know, like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this at home? So it was definitely a hard time to deal with, but, you know, I think people that really cared about their clients really kind of stepped up to the plate and came up with some kind of solution to help uh, the individuals that were obviously in need at that point, right? Because you have to remember, they're, they've never done this on their own. So, you know, it was, it was a really big uh, change, change for the industry, that's for sure. Yes, and I think it introduced us as well to teleconsultations. So virtual yep. consultations yep. really took off. And that yeah. was good from two points of view. The first one was it actually reminded us how personal this relationship is. So when you were talking one-on-one -on -one in a totally private uh, conversation online, you got much closer to the client. And I think that was both rewarding in both directions. That's true. It's true. And I mean, it introduced us to Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> which right. made life so much easier, right? So, you know, some, sometimes good things come out of bad, bad scenarios, that's for sure. Um, so I read an article in your magazine about how getting COVID has attributed to hair loss. Um, and has this 
has this correlation uh, increased treatments and sales within the industry? Have you seen that it actually has increased the sales or, or the treatments yes. in the industry? Yes. Yeah, very good question. Yes, it has. Um, particularly Zoom consultations have had people look at themselves and scrutinize themselves in ways they never had before. So research shows that people are much more sensitized now to their appearance and their flaws. Uh, this is reflected in an increase in inquiries for hair restoration surgery, and also uh, people either buying or considering a hair addition. And I'm sure that shows up in your own uh, customer relations as well. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it was definitely um, something that I did see a lot of and people just, even a lot of women kind of uh, now experiencing hair loss more than uh, the norm within, within the industry, right? Uh, a lot of women starting to lose their hair. I know with women, um, a big thing is during pregnancy, after pregnancy, women will have go through hormonal changes and lose their hair at that time. Um, so, you know, a lot of them, they know about this. But to have it happen out of the blue, when it had something to do with COVID, was something completely new to um, to them. So it was very stressful, I think. Um, do you think, I don't know if you have the answer to this question, but do you think that things will taper off? You know, once the decrease of COVID starts happening, do you think this is, like, I don't know in your research when you were getting information for uh, the COVID-related hair loss, um, but do you feel that maybe, you know, as COVID kind of gets weaker and weaker, maybe these kind of side effects of hair loss will decrease also? No, I think that uh, interest in hair loss is going to increase steadily. And I think the driving factor now is the consumer's awareness of wellness. Uh, I think COVID made people suddenly understand that their lifestyle impacted how they looked. And so what I'm gonna call wellness embraces diet, it embraces sleep, it embraces meditation and mind control. And obviously it embraces as well cosmetics. And we're seeing now that cosmetic sales are increasing. And uh, that means that people's concern with their hair is also increasing. So I think we'll see a steady growth, but we're moving from what I would call a hair loss marketplace to a more global wellness marketplace of which hair is just one component. That makes sense. Any, any insight on future products or techniques within the industry that we should watch out for? Many, many techniques. We've never seen so many research trials uh, in progress. Some of them have a lot of promise, but even the ones which are showing strong results have to pass that FDA threshold. And that takes usually a couple of years. And it's hugely expensive. I think when finasteride was being tested by Merck, it took them three or four years and over $2 million of investment. So these things are exciting to watch. Uh, Eli Lilly, for example, has come up with a drug that was a rheumatoid arthritis drug, but it has very worrying side effects. So they have to solve those before it could even be presented to the FDA. So uh, exciting, but uh, a long way off. I was just gonna ask, do you know anything, like I know um, 
I've heard about uh, cloning, cloning hair for transplants, for example. Um, now, this is something I've been hearing about for about a decade now. Um, any, any experience or any knowledge about that at all? Yes, cloning was uh, supposed to be the silver bullet in the hair industry, and it never was. Basically, uh, people learned how to replicate hair in a Petri dish. So you could take cells, you could incubate them, and you could grow them. And at that time, a number of big companies, Adirans in uh, Japan, for example, created an Adirans Research Institute to explore this. And a company, uh, Intercytex in Europe, also got a government grant to explore it. And they got as far as the Petri dish. So you could grow hair, but if you implanted that cultivated hair, you couldn't control the angle or what they call the angularity with which it then grew. So you couldn't achieve a cosmetically acceptable result. But let's assume that you could and you could implant it and it would grow just the way you wanted. The next question would become uh, ethical. Who gets it? Do insurance companies cover it? And if not, is it only available for the rich? And if it's only available for rich people, what kind of halo does that create for the companies providing it? Is, that, is there going to be a backlash? So there are lots of ethical as well as um, FDA issues surrounding cloning. Now, that said, there is an interesting experiment going on in the UK being headed by Dr. Bessam Fajo in Manchester, and he has created a hair bank. So you can submit your hair follicles to this bank where they will be cryogenically frozen and held for the future. So if hair cloning does become acceptable at some point in time in the future, you will have dynamic young, whatever, teenage follicles waiting to be implanted. Wow, I didn't know that. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, well, I guess it was kind of like, who was it? Walt Disney, he, he cryogenically froze his, his brain or his whole body? I, don't, I can't remember. So, well, that's very interesting. Now, what about um, any information about, I know we do um, PRP, uh, and then they were looking at... Um, stem cells? Stem cells, thank you so much. I was having a moment. Yes, yeah, stem cells for hair growth. Any, any information on that? And, and if you do, like how it's working, if it is working? Yeah, a lot of studies, primarily the research that's going on involves stem cells because if you could actually and people forget that the hair follicle is an organ so if you could recreate those organs using stem cell technology that would be the holy grail so a lot of research going there but um, although the results look promising they're all again about two years off i would think so it's i could go down a list of uh, studies underway at the moment they all have kind of biochemical names mm -hmm. are they promising yes a lot of them are but then at the same time there are lots of natural solutions which work well which nobody has researched either so no can one's you, come you, up There's can no, you give us some oh yeah let me look at my notes here sure no problem niacin vitamin b absorbic acid grapeseed rosemary oil sage nettles and hibiscus, all of yep. those have been known through yep. folklore to have an impact on hair growth. 
There haven't yes. been serious studies conducted yet, though. Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, salt palmetto, which everybody knows yep. produces results, but there is yep. no statistically significant clinical study. Yes. Have you heard the one about the, um, what is it, onion, onion juice? Yes. That's another one everyone seems to be talking about these days. I've had some people swear it works. I have no clue, but uh, it was one I'm like, I don't know if I want to walk around smelling like an onion, however. <laughs> I think the problem is that... Uh, these herbal supplements and uh, wellness products are not regulated by the FDA. Yes. They come under FTC control. But if you promote it as a, as a healthcare product, you can get away pretty much with any claims you wish. There is no control whatsoever. Yes. So possibly the only restricting factor would be if somebody had an adverse effect and sued you, then your reputation would be destroyed. But until that happens, you can get away with some pretty outrageous claims. Yes, exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on hair transplants overseas? The cheap hair transplants, I guess you could say. I don't want to pinpoint anyone specifically. Um, Middle East hair transplants. Um, I've heard a lot of, uh, kind of horror stories of individuals going, you know, for, you know, overseas to get, you know, Middle East to get cheaper hair transplants coming back, um, with sometimes completely, you know, some scarring, you know, permanent scarring, you know, where they haven't had a good job. What are you, what are your feelings on that? I guess I could say, you know, when it comes down to, to that kind of cheap, get it cheaper here, you know, mentality versus, you know, staying where you know, you know, everything is approved by the FDA, there's rules in place and, and, and you're in, in, a, in a very good place where you're taken care of by good doctors. I think it's important to understand that hair transplantation is an extremely intimate procedure. Secondly, it's irreversible. And thirdly, it's on display permanently. You cannot hide from it. Given those three facts, I don't know why anybody would go to an unknown surgeon in an unknown location uh, and take a risk. You cannot make that risk right afterwards. In fact, in the United States, the top uh, hair transplant education organization, the International Society for Hair Restoration Surgery, ISHRS, has now created a campaign to discourage people from going overseas. And they've also instituted a program to do their best to correct the errors that are made overseas. But that is both an expensive, humiliating, painful, and sometimes impossible thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you have been very insightful, and I'm so glad I had the opportunity to speak with you today, Chris. Um, anything else you want to add while, uh, before we go? Only to say that I visited uh, the Super Hair Peace TikTok website just a few minutes ago and was very impressed by the fact that you just say it like it is. Uh, you talk to the because you don't hide what's going on. Uh, so it's a mixture of very important information about what adding hair involves and then how it can transform you. So you go from the kind of the hip, don't I look terrific now video to the here's how, it, how we achieve it. And then you meet the stylist behind it. 
So I thought that was an excellent mix and uh, have to congratulate Super Hair Pieces for becoming contemporary and getting into TikTok. All right, well, thank you so much for that. I'll uh, spread the news to everybody else. Um, well, thank you again, Chris. And um, can you let people know again where we can find you online? Uh, that would be hairauthority.com, www.hairauthority.com. All right, thank you so much. Well, I hope to see everybody else in the next episode, but until then, let's raise our glass for a toast. Here's to you, and of course, here's to me. Until next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Super Hair Pieces. You can learn more about us online via TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you require more information on hair loss and different solutions, please visit our website at www.superhairpieces.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.